0: Salutations, thriller and horror devotees. I am Melisset, your ardent hostess. On this podcast, I'll be reading stories and each episode will be a chapter from a classic or a contemporary work. Sometimes I'll have special previews, science fiction, horror thrillers. Uh yeah, those are my specialties. When one book is complete, we will move on to another. It will be a pleasure if you accompany me through tales from the timeless past or maybe the dystopian future. Either way, let the ceremony commence. Mama's home, y'all. Welcome back to A Frightful Fret with Malissette. How did you all enjoy the special reading with Oroku Saki, also known as The Shredder? I think that that was some pretty excellent stuff, and... I was marking out pretty hard, but the Shredder is an intellectual, and he brought his A-game. That is 100%. In the classical music in the background, I think he did a better job than me, to be honest, <laughs> but anyway, welcome back to another week. We are going to be reading Chapter 4, and as we learned in the last episode, we had a couple things happen, and maybe you remember them, but one thing we know for sure is that Victor is still thinking about Elizabeth a little bit, sister, you've been on my mind, ooh. You know what that's from hit me up especially if you're not one of my personal friends because if you are my personal friend you probably get that reference and you're like oh, she's being stupid yes yes I am and Victor might be Miss Lily's maid after all okay maybe not anyway before I get off the rails completely I'm going to be reading an excerpt from a new book this is from author D.L. Holmes who is out of Louisiana and my dog just walked in for a special guest appearance I'm not sure if we'll be hearing from him or not he does like to stay silent but he is one of our special producers with this podcast and we want to give a shout out to Tebow hope you're doing well tonight over there in your booth so D.L. Holmes is a poet and he's written some other material and I have to say it is just a very talented individual and if you have the opportunity to look up this author um, he is on all the social medias I will be reading a quick excerpt of his, um, one of his features here before I get started with the chapter. So give me just a moment. If you like some of the naughty stuff, D.L. Holmes is your person. This book, Derailed, is full of wonderful poetry and Some of it is a little too hot for TV, so to speak. The excerpt I'm going to be reading is a poem that was written by D.L. called Air, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. From Derailed, available on Amazon. I hate needing you when you aren't here. Now that you're gone to chase stars and ideas... Things that will survive longer than the heart in my chest that I would kindly remove and hand to you, wrapped in insecurities and confetti paper, scented with lavender and mint, still beating, warm, and singing you the sounds of the ocean if you lay it next to your ear. But you want something that will still be here, long after the two of us are dust and afterthoughts, and I can only offer you forever. So long as there's air in my lungs, which if you said you wanted, you could have too. Hey, hey, yeah, you. You like comic books, anime and stuff? Sure you do. Who the hell doesn't? And that's why you should listen to a podcast called Fresh. It's like audio cliff notes of ancient texts, painstakingly translated by us for you. So do yourself a favor. Like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Trust me, we're everywhere. So don't forget, it's a podcast called Fresh on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, and anywhere podcasts are casted. What kind of forever? Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, Chapter 4. From this day, natural philosophy, and particularly chemistry in the most comprehensive sense of the term, Became nearly my sole occupation. I read with ardor those works so full of genius and discrimination, which modern inquirers have written on these subjects. I attended the lectures and cultivated the acquaintance of men of science and university. And I even found M. Kremp a great deal of sense and real information, combined in that is true with repulsive physiognomy and manners. But. Not in the account, the less valuable. In M. Waldman, I found a true friend. His gentleness was never tinged by the dogmatism, and his instructions were given with an air of frankness and good nature that banished every idea of pedantry. In a thousand ways, he smoothed for me the path of knowledge and made the most obtruse inquiries clear and factile to my apprehension. My application was as fluctuating and uncertain. It gained strength as I proceeded, and soon became so ardent and eager that the stars often disappeared in the light of the morning, whilst I was yet engaged in my laboratory. As I applied so closely, it may be easily conceived that my progress was rapid. My ardor was indeed the astonishment of the students, and my proficiency that of the master's. Professor Kremp often asked me with a sly smile how Cornelius Agrippa went on, whilst M. Waldman expressed the most heartfelt exultation in my progress. Two years passed in this manner, during which I paid no visit to Geneva, but was engaged heart and soul in the pursuit of some discoveries which I hoped to make. None but those who have experienced them can conceive the enticements of science. In other studies, you go as far as others have gone before you, and there's nothing more to know. But in a scientific pursuit, there is continual food for discovery and wonder. A mind of moderate capacity, which closely pursued one study, must infallibly arrive at a great proficiency in that study, and I, who continually sought the attainment of one object of pursuit and was solely wrapped up in this, improved so rapidly that at the end of two years, I made some discoveries in the improvement of some chemical instruments, which procured me great esteem and admiration at the university. When I had arrived at this point and had become as well acquainted with the theory and practice of natural philosophy and depended on the lessons of any of the professors at Ingolstadt, my residence there began no longer conducive to my improvements. I thought of returning to my friends and my native town, when an incident happened and protracted my stay. One of the phenomena which had particularly attracted my attention was the structure of the human frame and indeed any animal endued with life. Once I often asked myself, did the principle of life proceed? It was a bold question and one which has ever been considered as a mystery. Yet with how many things are we upon the brink of becoming acquainted if cowardice or carelessness did not restrain our inquiries. I revolved these circumstances in my mind and determined thenceforth to apply myself more particularly to those branches of natural philosophy which related to physiology. Unless I had been animated by an almost supernatural enthusiasm, my application to this study would have been irksome and almost intolerable. To examine the causes of life we must first have recourse to death. I became acquainted with the science of anatomy, but this was not sufficient. I must also observe the natural decay and corruption of the human body. In my education, my father had taken the greatest precautions that my mind should be impressed with no supernatural horrors. I do not ever remember to have trembled at the tale of superstition, or to have feared the apparition of a spirit. Darkness had no effect on my fancy, and a churchyard was to me merely the receptacle of bodies deprived of life, which, for being the seed of beauty and strength, had become food for the worm. Now as I led to examine the cause and progress of this decay, and forced to spend days and nights in vaults and... Journal houses. My attention was fixed upon every object of the most insupportable to the delicacy of the human feelings. I saw how the fine form of man was degraded and wasted. I beheld the corruption of death succeed to the blooming cheek of life. I saw how the worm inherited the wonders of the eye and brain. I paused examining and analyzing all the minutiae and causation as exemplified in the change from life to death and death to life until in the midst of darkness a sudden light-stroke broke in upon me, a light so brilliant and wondrous yet so simple that while I became dizzy with the immense of the prospect which it illustrated, I was surprised that among so many men of genius who had directed their inquiries toward the same science that I alone should be reserved to discover so astonishing a secret. Remember, I am not recording the vision of a madman. The sun does not more certainly shine in the heavens than that which I now affirm is true. Some miracle might have produced it, yet... The stages of the discovery were distinct and probable. After days and nights of incredible labor and fatigue, I succeeded in discovering the cause of generation and life. In Namor, I became myself capable of bestowing animation upon lifeless matter. The astonishment which I first experienced on this discovery soon Gave place to delight and rapture, after so much time spent in painful labor to arrive at once at the summit of my desires was most gratifying consummation of my toils. but this discovery was so great and overwhelming that all the steps by which I had progressively led to it were obliterated, and I beheld only the result what had been the study and desire of the wisest men since the creation of the world was now within my grasp now that like a magic scene and all opened upon me at once the information i had obtained was of a nature rather to direct my endeavors so soon as i should point them towards the object of my search than to exhibit that object already accomplished I was like the Arabian who had been buried with the dead, and found a passage to life, aided only by one glimmering and seemingly ineffectual light. I see by your eagerness and wonder and hope which your eyes express, my friend, that you expected to be informed of a secret with which I am acquainted. That cannot be. Listen patiently until the end of my story, and you will easily perceive why I am reserved upon that subject. I will not lead you on, unguarded and ardent as I then was, to your destruction and infallible misery. Learn from me. If not by my precepts, at least by my example. How dangerous this acquirement of knowledge, and how much happier that man who believes his native town to be the world, then he who aspires to become greater than his nature will allow. When I found so astonishing a power placed within my hands, I hesitated a long time concerning the manner in which I should employ it. Although I possessed the capacity of bestowing animation, yet to prepare a frame for the reception of it, with all its intricacies and fibers, muscles, and veins, still remained a work of inconceivable difficulty and labor. I doubted at first whether I should attempt the creation of a being like myself, or one of simpler organization, but my imagination was too much exalted by my first success to permit me to doubt of my ability to give life to an animal as complex and wonderful as man. The materials at present within my command hardly appeared adequate to so arduous an undertaking, but I doubted not that I should ultimately succeed. I prepared myself for a multitude of reverses. My operations might be incessantly baffled, and at last my work be imperfect, yet When I considered the improvement which every day takes place in science and mechanics, I was encouraged to hope my present attempts would at least lay the foundation of future success. Nor could I consider the magnitude and complexity of my plan as any argument of its impracticability. It was with these feelings that I began the creation of a human being. As the minuteness of the parts formed, a great hindrance to my speed, I resolved contrary to my first intention, to make a being of gigantic stature, that is to say about eight feet in height and proportionately large. After having formed this determination, and having spent some months in successfully collecting and arranging my materials, I began. No one can conceive the variety of failings which bore me onwards, like a hurricane in the first enthusiasm of success. Life and death appeared to me, ideal bounds, which I should first break through and pour a torrent of light into our dark world. A new species would bless me as its creator and source. Many happy and excellent natures would owe their being to me, No father could claim the gratitude of his child so completely as I should deserve this. Pursuing these reflections, I thought, that if I could bestow animation upon lifeless matter, I might, in process of time, although I now found it impossible, renew life where death had apparently devoted the body to corruption. These thoughts supported my spirits while I pursued my undertaking and unremitting ardor. My cheeks had grown pale with study, and my person had become emaciated with confinement. Sometimes on the very brink of certainty, I failed. Yet, still I clung to the hope which the next day or next hour might realize. One secret which I alone possessed was the hope to which I had dedicated myself. And the moon gazed on my midnight labors while, with unrelaxed and breathless eagerness, I pursued nature to her hiding places. Who shall conceive the horrors of my secret toil as I dabbled among the unhallowed damps of the grave or tortured the living animals to animate the lifeless clay? My limbs now tremble and my eyes swim with the remembrance, but then a resistless and almost frantic impulse urged me forward. I seemed to have lost all soul or sensation but for this one pursuit. It was indeed but a passing trance that only made me feel with renewed acuteness so soon as the unnatural stimulus ceasing to operate. I had returned to my old habits. I collected bones from the charnel houses, and disturbed with profane fingers the tremendous secrets of the human frame. In a solitary chamber, or rather, cell, at the top of the house, and separated from all other apartments by a gallery and staircase, I kept my workshop of filthy creation my eyeballs were starting from their sockets in attending to the details of my empower employment the dissecting room and the slaughterhouse furnished many of my materials and often did my human nature turn with loathing from my occupation whilst still urged on by an eagerness which perpetually increased i brought my work near to a conclusion the summer months passed while I was thus engaged heart and soul in one pursuit. It was a most beautiful season, never did the fields bestow a more plentiful harvest, or the vines yield a more luxuriant vintage. But my eyes were insensible to the charms of nature, and the same feelings which made me neglect the scenes around me caused me to also forget those friends who were so many miles absent in whom I had not seen for so long a time. I knew my silence disquieted them and I well remembered the words of my father. I know that while you are pleased with yourself you will think of us with affection and we shall hear regularly from you. You must pardon me if I regard any interruption in your correspondence as a proof that you are other duties are equally neglected I knew well therefore what would my father's feelings but I could not tear my thoughts from my employment loathsome in itself but which had taken an irresistible hold of my imagination I wished as it were to procrastinate all that related to my feelings or affection until the great object which swallowed up every habit of my nature should be completed. I then thought that my father would be unjust if he ascribed my neglect to vice or faultiness on my part, but I am now convinced that he was justified in conceiving that I should not be altogether free from blame. A human being in perfection ought always to preserve a calm and peaceful mind and never to allow passion or a transitory desire to disturb his tranquility. I do not think that the pursuit of knowledge is an exception to this rule. If the study to which you apply yourself has a tendency to weaken your affections and to destroy your taste for those simple pleasures in which no alloy can possibly mix, then that study is certainly unlawful. That is to say, not befitting the human mind. If this rule were always observed, if no man allowed any pursuit whatsoever to interfere with the tranquility of his domestic affections, Greece had not been enslaved, Caesar had spared his country, America would have been discovered more gradually, and the empires of Mexico and Peru had not been destroyed. But I forget I'm moralizing. the most interesting part of my tale and your looks remind me to proceed my father made no reproach in his letters and only took notice of my silence by inquiring into my occupations more particularly than before winter spring and summer passed away during my labors but i did not watch the blossom or the expanding leaves, sights which before always yielded me supreme delight. So deeply was I engrossed in my occupation. The leaves of the year had withered before my work drew to a close and now every day showed me more plainly how well I had succeeded. By my enthusiasm was checked by my anxiety and I appeared rather like one doomed by slavery to toil in the mines or any other unwholesome trade that an artist occupied by his favorite employment. Every night I was oppressed by a slow fever, and I became nervous to a most painful degree. The fall of a leaf startled me, and I shunned my fellow creatures as if I had been guilty of a crime. Sometimes. I grew alarmed at the wreck I perceived that I'd become. The energy of my purpose alone sustained me. My labors would soon end, and I believed that exercise and amusement would drive away insipid disease, and I promised myself both of these when my creation would be complete. in just seven days, Victor will make you a man. Dig it, if you can. Wow, Victor, Victor's kind of morbid, guys, right? He's building a man from scratch, and he's digging up all this stuff and getting pieces from slaughterhouses, and it's kind of gross but this is what's going on what we see as he continues his project is his descent into madness and he's becoming obsessed with this invention that he's working on and he shunned everything else and you know what it's actually a really good message for all of us because we often get so intertwined in things within our lives and we focus on that one thing and we become obsessed and in the meantime we ignore all the beautiful things around us like my producer KitKat who's laying in bed when she should be working the soundboard for me. Thanks a lot. I have to do everything around here but no good deed goes unpunished. Am I right? Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode and we will be back next time with chapter five and I hope that you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for being a part of this and I look forward to reading to you next time. I'll feed a same.